Our reading will be from Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. As always, we want to welcome those who are visiting. We do count you as an honored guest. And if you are in the process of looking for a church home, please consider the work here at Olive Branch. We would love to have you come and join hands with us as we serve the Lord in this community. We are grateful for the church that meets here. We have, uh, I think, a loving group of people that are trying to serve the Lord. We have very good men who serve as elders in this congregation, and we are very blessed. And so we would certainly welcome your help as we try to expand the borders of the kingdom in this community. We're going to be looking in just a moment at the 17th chapter of Acts, and specifically we're going to be talking about Paul and his visit in Athens. And I want us to think for just a few moments about the theme, a city in need of enlightenment. Paul was one of the great evangelists in the early church. And no doubt he made a profound impact on the cause of Christ in the era in which he lived. Many people had the opportunity to hear, believe, and obey the gospel through his preaching and teaching. And we can read about his missionary endeavors in the book of Acts. And we remind ourselves of his zeal and his love for the cause of Christ. I was thinking a moment ago, if perchance the Apostle Paul had the opportunity to visit the city of Memphis or the city of Olive Branch, what do you think he would say? How do you think he would react to the people that live in these two cities? Do you think Paul would teach them the gospel? Do you think the Apostle Paul would be concerned about the souls of people that live in this region? I think the answer to that would be absolutely. When Paul went to the city of Athens, he met an interesting group of people. I want us to first of all take into consideration the reputation of the people in this city. And then the second thing that we want to do is note how he reasoned with the people in this city. As we think about the reputation of these people, there are certain things that are said in the first section of this particular account that let us know where these people stood, spiritually speaking. First of all, I suggest unto you that the people in the city of Athens were people of idolatry. The passage that Dio read just a moment ago. Luke tells us that while Paul waited for them, that is, if you recall in chapter 17, Paul had been in Thessalonica, and there he had preached the gospel along with Silas. They had been driven out of town, and the statement was made that these men that have turned the world upside down have come here too in verse 6. 
In verse 10, we find them in Berea. And it was said of the Bereans that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether the things that they heard were so. Now, in verse 15, Paul had been brought to Athens and apparently he was waiting for Silas and Timothy to come with him. Or come to him, rather. And so in verse 16, the Bible says that while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred or provoked within him because he saw that the city was given over to idolatry. Now, you and I, we live in a world today in which we may not have the pagan idols that they had in the first century. We may not have people that are building physical idols, cutting them out of rock or stone or some type of graven art. But nonetheless, we do have our idols. It may be the idol of materialism or money. It might be the idol of self-interest. But we, as I said a moment ago, do have our idols. It's interesting that when John wrote in 1 John chapter 5, that he closed that book by saying, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Idolatry has always been a problem to God's people. And so when the Apostle Paul arrived in the city of Athens, one of the things that he met was a group of people that were given over to idolatry. But then another characteristic of the people who lived in the city of Athens is the fact that these were people who were intellectual giants. The Bible tells us in verse 18 that Paul met with certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Now, The Epicureans, they believed that pleasure was the chief aim of life. There are many people today that may not subscribe to the philosophy of Epicurus, but they live out this philosophy in their daily lives. That is, life is all about pleasure to the minimization of pain. None of us particularly enjoys pain. But here were people, that was their sole pursuit in life. And then you had the Stoics. And Stoicism was founded by Zeno. And they had the idea that everything was governed by fate. They denied immortality. And so here is the Apostle Paul meeting with these great philosophers of his day. And the Bible tells us that he's preaching to them about Jesus and the resurrection. So here were people that were given over to idolatry. They were very intellectual. But then also we find that they were a group of people who were very interested. They had an interest in... New things, according to Luke. 
Drop down to verse 21. The Bible says, For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to hear or tell some new thing. There are a lot of people in the world today, they're always looking for the latest fad, the latest thing that comes down the pike. That's what piques their interest. Well, such was the case with the Athenians. They were a very interested group of people. But then there's another characteristic that we find out by reading Luke's account. And that is they were people who were steeped in religious ignorance. You see, Paul said that as he passed by, he found an altar to an unknown God. He said, whom you therefore ignorantly worship. So they may have been very religious, but nonetheless, their religion, their religious thinking was not based on divine truth. So how did Paul deal with? with the people in the city of Athens. How did he deal with these great thinkers, these religious people? Well, we have, in the second place, his reasoning among the people. Now, if we drop back and look at verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, And in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler mean or want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. Because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, that is to Mars Hill or the Hill of Mars saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of what you speak. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, therefore we want to know what these things mean. Now one of the the things that we need to understand is the basis, I think, for Paul's reasoning with the people in Athens or Thessalonica or any city for that matter would have been divine truth. Drop back to Acts 17 at verse 2. In verse 2, Luke tells us that when Paul and Silas went to the city of Thessalonica, that as his custom was, he went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Here is Paul using divine truth... To make his point. And of course when he arrives in Athens. He's reasoning with these people. He's preaching to them about Jesus and the resurrection. Cardinal doctrines of the new covenant. The fact that Christ died. That he was buried. That he was raised again on the third day. And so we think about his reasoning with these people. And note the revelation that he imparts unto them. If you drop down to verse 22, we find Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus or the hill of Mars or Mars Hill. And apparently a council would convene here and there they would discuss religious matters. 
or make decisions on religious things. And so here the Apostle Paul stands before them and he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing by or passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Now, it's at this juncture that Paul does a couple of things. First of all, he speaks to them in very plain terms about the attributes of the one true living God. Here they were serving unknown gods, plural. They were polytheistic. They were pagans. And so the Apostle Paul is going to enlighten them about the God who made the heavens and the earth. And so in verse 24, he begins by talking about the omnipotence of God. That is, that God is all-powerful. Listen to him. God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped by the hands of men as though he needs anything. Since he gives to all life, breath, and all things, God is the giver of all life. And Paul is saying to these people who were steeped in idolatry, who may have had various philosophical tendencies, There is a God, and this God is the one who has created this universe. And he is the giver of all life, breath, and all things. Now, there are people in our country today. There are people in the city of Memphis and in the city of Olive Branch. They are well-educated. They have attended academic institutions that are prestigious. But in many respects, they have no knowledge of the one true God. How many people do you think in this area subscribe to the thinking of Charles Darwin? That we are the products of evolution. How many people in our pluralistic society today have the idea, it doesn't matter what God you serve. It doesn't matter whether you serve Buddha or Jesus. Well, you see, Paul here is trying to clarify. He's trying to show these people there is a God. And this God is the one who created all things. I found it interesting the other day. I was reading the obituary section and really incredulous to me. But there was a tribute to Charles Darwin on his birthday by the atheist living in the city of Olive Branch. I didn't even know there was a society in Olive Branch for atheists. Sometimes we have the idea, well, people in Olive Branch, they, they wouldn't be atheistic in their, in their thinking. They wouldn't be agnostic. That is, how can we know there's a God? Let me tell you, there are people of all walks of life. And so what people need is to be enlightened. They need to know about the one true living God. 
And so Paul here speaks to them about the omnipotence, that is the power of Jehovah God, who has, as he said, made from one blood all nations or every nation of man to dwell on the face of the earth. And then he says in verse 28, it's in him that we live and move and have our being. For we also are his offspring. It was God who said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Not only does Paul speak of God as an all-powerful being, but he also tells us that God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. And that he is omnipresent. He is ever-present. Note what he says. In verse 27, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope or feel for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. God is a being who is omnipresent. Read sometime Psalm 139. There is nowhere that you and I can go in this universe, in life or death, and escape the presence of God. He is an all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present being. And this is the God that the Apostle Paul speaks of to the people in Athens. And so in verse 29, he said, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature or Godhead is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. You see, first of all, Paul identifies some of the attributes of God. But now Paul is going to change gears, so to speak, and talk about some activities appointed by God. Note verse 30. Truly, these times of ignorance God winked at or overlooked. But now the Bible says he commands all men everywhere to repent. What was Paul saying to the people in Athens? Listen, he's telling these people, number one, you need to understand there is a God. And this God has not been shaped by the hands of mankind. This God is an all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present being. He is your creator. And what God demands of people in this universe today is repentance. God wants people to repent. He wants them to turn to him. Why is that? Well, because he's a being of love, we know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, John three sixteen. We know that God loved us to the extent that he sent Christ to be the Savior of the world. That's what John said in 1 John 4, verse 14. But you see, because God loves us, the Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. Now, why would Paul preach to the Athenians repentance? Look at verse 31. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness 
by the man whom he has ordained or appointed. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Paul preached the resurrected Christ to the Athenians. And Paul points out that there is coming a day in which the God of this universe is going to call his creation into the judgment. As Paul would later write to the Corinthians, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may give an account of the deeds done in the body according to what we've done, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5 at verse 10. Why do you think Paul talked to them about repentance and the judgment? Well, I think because Paul loved the souls of men. Paul was concerned about the eternal well-being of people made in the image and the likeness of God. I'm convinced if Paul were to come to the city of Memphis or Olive Branch, he would talk to the people in these cities about the God of this universe, about the resurrected Christ. And he would point out that this God, who is a being of love, demands repentance. He demands that people turn to him and live for him because there is coming a day in which this same creator will judge the hearts and lives of people. You see, one day you and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as Paul said to the church at Rome. The city of Athens, they needed enlightening. And you look around in Isla Branch and in the city of Memphis, and I'm here to tell you, people need to be enlightened. They need to know about New Testament Christianity. They need to know that there is a God and that this God has created mankind and that this God has revealed a system of faith that is the one faith. And we must obey the one faith. When we obey this system of faith, then God adds us to the one body. And it is in the one body that we enjoy salvation. Ephesians 5 verse 23. There are a lot of people in Memphis and in Olive Branch, they don't know that. They know nothing about New Testament Christianity. And so you and I, we have a golden opportunity. We have the opportunity to take the gospel to this community. To literally enlighten them. I said just a moment ago, it was incredulous to me to know that there there were people in this city that had a society for atheism. Sometimes we think, well, that's just in Hollywood, or that's just in New York City, or that's just in San Francisco. No, that's right here in our community. We have people of every walk of life in this city and in the city of Memphis. And if we want to eradicate the social and moral ills of our cities, what do we need to do? We need to do as Paul did, and that is preach the gospel to them. 
reason with them from the scriptures. So today we ask the question, what are you going to do to enlighten people in this community? Are you going to take the truth of God to them? Are you going to be a conduit for good in the lives of people? It may very well be the case that one day people will be in heaven because of you, because of your influence, because you took the time to talk to somebody about the risen Savior. If you're here today and you're not a New, a New Testament Christian, our plea to you would be to come to Christ. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, that he rose again on the third day. Jesus himself said, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. Not only must we believe in him, but we must be willing to repent. As Paul said to the Athenians, God commands repentance, Acts 17, 30. We must be willing to confess his name before others, Matthew 10, 32. And then the Bible tells us we are to be baptized into him for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. When you do that, the Lord will add you to his church, Acts 2.47. And if you live faithfully, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, why not come home today? Why not repent, turn again, come back to the Lord, enjoy fellowship with him and with his people? We would be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.